What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Mason Kern, joined as always by side publisher Chris Cartman, as well as analyst Kevin Stewart. Kevin, first time I'm getting the chance to talk to you this semester. How you doing? Pretty good. How you been? I've been good. I've been good. Definitely busy, but uh, and, and today is obviously no exception. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Chris, again, very busy day, but how are you holding up? I'm still alive. We're, we're fine. We're, we're getting through it. That's for sure. Got a, a basketball game later, too. So so definitely knocking out a bunch of things today. But we've got a lot to get to in this episode, for sure. So I don't want to waste any time. The Sun Devils concluding the first day of the 2020 early signing period today. And they publicly signed nine high school prospects and one Division One transfer. That's Trevez Moore from LSU. Ten signees in the first day of the early signing period. Chris, what were just some of your overall impressions uh, from from today? Well, it, it's a it's a good group. Uh, all of them are in the top 900 pro- overall prospects on the 24/7 Sports Composite, and actually, uh, the, the bottom two ranked guys of that group, Isaiah Glass and Garrett Stansbury, I, I like very much. I think that they're underrated. So. Uh, there's no, no lint in, in the class. Uh, it's a smaller, leaner number. Of course, they did miss on a couple of big name guys that they really thought that they were going to get in, in the last 24 to 48 hours. And we'll be talking about that more later. But those are Jermaine Terry, who decided to stick with his Cal commitment. And then Davon Townley, who uh, defensive end out of Minnesota, who elected to wait and not sign until the uh, February signing period. Uh, and then everybody wants to know about Corey Foreman. We still don't know about Corey Foreman. So that is a to be determined. And I'm not doing that just to lead anybody on. I legitimately do not know right now. And I do not think that even the teams know what Corey Foreman is doing for sure. And this is obviously as of we're, our recording of this 5 p.m. on December 16th. But Kevin, it really seems like ASU went quality over quantity. And we saw that earlier in the cycle with them dropping several of their committed recruits. Uh, 10, not the biggest number on signing day, but again, the average rating is still relatively high. Yeah, they can definitely be a little more selective with their overall roster composition right now. And they appeared to do, do that. You know, they, they addressed some needs along the defensive line and offensive line. But it seems like the big gets so far, at least, are uh, defensive back and linebacker to me. And it's really important to, to mention with this group of signees, about six to seven of them are expected to be on campus early enrolled in January. That group being Isaiah Glass, Finn Collins, Tommy Hill, Robert Reagan, Eric Gentry, Trevez Moore, and possibly Garen Stansberry. Chris, how important is that? And it is a trend that we've seen uh, with Herm Edwards recruits over the, the past couple cycles. Yeah, I think that's just been, it's been a national trend too, right? It's, uh, you know, you go across the country and it's a differentiator in a lot of recruitments uh, with the higher profile schools. They're able to get the kids enrolled in January and, and more assimilated and gives them a better chance to play. Uh, I do think the ASU has done a pretty good, good job in that respect. And it's also an indicator that they've tended to get uh, pretty good character quotient kids. They're, they're not, most of them are not kids who are really struggling to qualify late. They haven't had a bunch of academic casualties. Um, you know, ironically, the, the one guy that, that 
is an academic uh, casualty of, of some kind, you know, maybe not entirely, was Isaiah Johnson, who was their, their highest rated guy in the class as a commit, uh, ended up not signing. My, our, my understanding is that that's academics related, um, just kind of where he's at with his, his projectability uh, in, in the class. So, you know, not all, you know, positive news in, in that regard. And at one point they were actually talking about him as a potential spring enrollee, but it's not that they necessarily need these guys at this point of where they're at to come in and play right away. That they, they absolutely were at that place a couple of years ago when they were playing all those freshmen, especially on defense, you know, Roland Roberts and Darian Butler and Crosswell and, and Lole. Um, you know, world of difference now uh, when you look at it. And that isn't to say that uh, someone like Tommy Hill, who is their highest ranked guy that they signed today, may not be able to come in and, and compete for a job right away, especially if Jack Jones and Chase Lucas depart. I still I like where they're at with their personnel uh, at defensive back with Tamarcus Davis and Jordan Clark and Keon Markham and others. So, you know, it's not like it's a cakewalk. And that's actually what you really want. You don't want to feel like you need guys to come in and play right away. Uh, but they, so the, clearly what's happening is they are building better depth uh, through their roster uh, with younger talent. And that's something that should really continue to pay dividends next year and beyond. They're still a pretty young team overall. I think the seventh youngest roster, I saw this stat in, in uh, FBS football. Uh, but so, you know, I, they went through a, a period where they were way under the scholarship limit, the most we've ever seen. And they had a bunch of guys uh, who were probably never going to make a big impact. And now they're getting to a much healthier place overall. So that's one of the big uh, takeaways. Right. And coaches always say they want to out recruit guys who are on the roster, getting some of these guys in just building the competitive depth, as you mentioned, is, is definitely a key. And overall, when you, when you look at the class, Kevin, or the signees, at least at this point, Chris mentioned a couple guys who he feels are slightly underrated. Who who's jumping out to you as of right now? Well, I really, I don't know if he's necessarily underrated on the board or I really think Jaden Williams is like a four-star guy to me, a linebacker, um, great speed, playmaker, kind of a different, maybe to me, a little different type of linebacker than they have right now. They seem to have the bigger physical guys right now, and maybe he'll become that over time. But I, I could see him maybe um, being a guy who could play early on. But as Chris was saying, you know, they don't, they're not in a position where they need guys to come in and play early. But uh, Williams is someone who stands out to me, is underrated. And you know, beyond that, um, you know, Isaiah Glass is another one that's been talked about a lot that way too. Someone that didn't get a lot of attention. I think this year there's a lot more guys who probably fall in the underrated category than normal just with everything going on in the world. I don't know if the scouting and the visibility is quite what it normally is for sure. That's a great point, actually. Uh, not having any of the normal in-person evaluation process these coaches, they're not getting the that uh, in-person perspective on some of these guys. You look at a Stansbury, for example. He's from a really tiny town in Louisiana. I think he's the only uh, FBS guy that's come out of there in decades. Franklin, so, baby. Yeah, Franklin, Louisiana. Glass. A lot of people were concerned about him being undersized because he he and he was like a late transitioning guy. Uh, he played tight end a lot 
as a junior, uh, 225 or 30 pounds, put on probably 25 pounds, still undersized, but I think he has a frame and he's athletic. So that's why like those two guys to Kevin's point probably went under recruited Eric Gentry. I've heard that he's put on 15, 20 pounds this year. He was a really skinny sort of a early uh, um, kind of on in his physical development at 205 pounds on a six, six big frame. Now he's maybe 220, 225, and that's a big difference. So I, 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 this staff, I think, has done a very good job at evaluating in that tier. We've seen their mid-year signees in the last couple of years have tended to end up being pretty good players. And I, I, I agree with Kevin also about Jaden Williams. Um, he's a, Herm Edwards raved about him today, and he's very physical. Like he, he's sort of like Evan Fields, but a guy who's going to be a linebacker. So he's, he's probably going to be a little undersized. He'll end up 210, 215 pounds, uh, on a six, one frame, but he is not going to back down from anybody. He's going to throw his body around and very fast. He reminds me of actually some of the linebackers that we've seen at Utah and Washington that have been really great at, at the top end of the PAC 12 in recent years. So, um, and, and Kevin mentioned, you know, the cornerback is, is, which is already probably a strength on this team, then getting uh, Tommy Hill and Robert Regan, uh, Robert Regan. Uh, he might be underrated, even though he's a top 50 California prospect, you know, he's six foot, uh, I think he's still growing into his body. He's going to get more physically mature. He has a good frame. He'll carry 180 pounds. And he's fast. He plays both ways, plays on special teams. Uh, like his film is really good. Like there's, you, you see him going up against uh, really high level receivers, guys who are going to play in the Pac 12 very successfully. And he just really holds his own. So I think just kind of where they're at in that regard is is pretty impressive and, and definitely i think was it you who said it mason it, they got definitely quality in this class even though they didn't get big numbers but that was also part strategy right and antonio pierce talked about that at length in his press conference today as well and as we currently stand again 10 signees nine from the high school ranks one from the transfer portal that leaves five public commits uh, remaining and Chris, you mentioned Isaiah Johnson, some academic stuff going on there. Uh, but Ezra Dotsno Yatade, four star center, uh, Cameron Beecham, Isaiah World, and Edward Chaplicki all not signing today. What's the status of all those guys? Right. So the the our understanding is that Dotsno Yatade is, is going to sign with ASU, maybe already signed with ASU. He had a, a death in his family recently that his family's kind of been working through. And just out of kind of respect, they're they're doing their process a little bit differently, and that probably won't end up being announced until later. Uh, Isaiah Johnson, as we said earlier, you know that's that's going to be a February thing, and we'll see we'll see if he ends up you know looking at other options or not uh, between now and then. Uh, the other guys, Cameron Beecham, the 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 athlete tight ends at Oceanside, Isaiah World, the, the big six eight two way lineman out of San Diego. Um, those guys are looking like good chance they could sign with ASU in February. Remember the California kids, they didn't play, um, high school football 
in the fall. I think ASU was hoping to be able to evaluate them a little bit more because they're, those guys are sort of later blooming football players and they didn't get that opportunity. And they're also trying to sort of keep their options open with this whole transfer market. And then the kicker, uh, that, that's a guy that they'll end up blue shirting. And you don't want, they don't want to have too many blue shirts this year because that's been a trend where they've had five in each of the last two years that uh, cuts down the number of um, initial qualifiers that they have. So it's only 20 this year as opposed to the maximum 25 because they count those scholarships forward. And the 2022 class is one that they ASU feels really well positioned at being able to sign a great haul. And if you take a bunch of blue shirts, that sort of squeezes down the possibilities of that number. And they didn't want to do that. Right. And you mentioned California and, and plenty of other states as well, not playing their high school football, but California specifically, ASU signs three kids from California in this beginning portion of early signing day. Austin Berry was kind of on the cusp there for a while. They had told him that uh, they were going to have him sign in February. And then Antonio Pierce was calling him at, at 4.30 in the morning, his time today. I think he meant his time, 5.30. But yeah, 5.30 his time, 4.30 uh, in California because of the, the hour day difference but uh either way austin berry does end up signing uh off of some some developments because of some misses likely and, and kevin if you can kind of overview some of the main targets that asu did miss out on today well um you know on the offensive line i guess there's still maybe some things in the works but they very they did take obviously um i think that's a good get in the grand scheme of things for asu overall um, it's, I would say tight ends, the one that really sticks out, especially with the, you know, change in the style of offense with the new offense quarter, Zach Hill, your, you know, fans and you know, guys like us were expecting them to make a dent at the tight end recruiting. And, you know, they missed out on Terry, which looks like a big miss at the moment because, uh, Beecham's the only other committed tight end. <clears throat> so that's a position that you know, maybe transfer again this uh, offseason or the next couple of weeks is a position they address because they definitely need to get some more bodies in there, I think, long term if they're going to play a two tight end type offense. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think um, they, 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 the, the guys that they missed pretty clearly, Terry, and then they need more pass rush, which, which is Davon Townley. Uh, or and or Corey Foreman uh, it's not like they needed both of them probably but getting one of them would be big coupled with Stansberry and Gentry who's you know maybe a linebacker but probably eventually is going to be a defensive end uh, pass rusher either way uh, you know they you know they didn't need defensive tackles in this class I think they were smart to to avoid taking got interior guys especially kind of early um, just given you know, how they kind of moved guys from outside inside. Uh, and then even the, the possibility of other guys doing so later on, like Amiri Johnson, you know, he's like 280 pounds right now. So he's like sort of borderline on the fence, you know, depending upon how some of these other guys come in and what they're able to do. Uh, you know, the, the Kevin's right, like tight end. It's like, it seems like they haven't been able to get anybody who's like a, a blue chip prospect in forever. They thought they really thought that they had that guy, I think in Terry on the hook and ready to flip from Cal. And, and then that kind of fell through. So that the, the, the transfer market is where I think they'll be looking at a tight end uh, offensive tackle, even though they may get um, both Kellen Deesh 
and Henry Haddis. They could easily, both of them, come back next year and play again, which would put ASU in a pretty good situation, especially with uh, how many youngsters that they have on the offensive line and development now. That's really a much better situation overall than it was a couple years ago. Uh, and, uh, and then, but still, if you don't get Townley and or Foreman, then maybe you look at uh, another pass rusher in addition to Trevez Moore, who only has one season left. And he didn't really do anything at LSU, even though he was really highly regarded at a junior college. So it's sort of a flyer that they're taking on him. If you want redundancy anywhere with their recruiting uh, and they're just their, their overall talent acquisition right now, it really seems to me like it would be at the defensive end, offensive tackle, and then tight end. Just and that, So it makes sense. And we've been hearing pretty clearly that in addition to Trevez Moore, they're going to try to add three, maybe four other uh, Division One transfers. And those are the positions where uh, we can look at that make the most sense for them. Right. And that's where I was going next, just because the the only division one transfer at this time, at least is Trevez Moore. And, and we have obviously are getting to know up on him already on the site that you guys can go check out. But overall, I mean, Herm Edwards has said several times, Chris, that it's, it's college free agency with the transfer portal. And he said that the staff was showing him all the names and it's 72 pages of, of players names in the transfer portal you've kind of gone over it a little bit, but more in depth, where is their focus and, and where are the actual numbers coming from in terms of how many guys they are willing to take there? Well, so here's the thing. They, um, we know that uh, from last year, they got both of those offensive linemen as grad transfers that I mentioned earlier, they're both starting. Kellen Deesh is like probably one of their top two linemen along with Donovan West. Henry Haddis has been quite serviceable and pretty good, actually, in, in some cases against quality Pac-12 opponents. And we know they got DeAndre Pierce. He started at safety past uh, Shari Crosswell and uh, in camp, and Crosswell didn't handle it well, and he ended up kind of just blowing up and, 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 and bailing out on the program, which I think was a big mistake for him. Point, though, is that even though that's, DeAndre, that's you know Antonio Pierce's son, it's three guys that they got who have made an impact. And... This year, they should be able to do better than that uh, because of this NCAA rule change that makes it uh, one-time, no-penalty transfer. And ASU is the type of school that, uh, I posted this on the board, the elite programs, like Trevez Moore comes to ASU from LSU as a, as a mid-year guy. Uh, it, ASU is a program where at the elite top tier, uh, when those guys are looking to drop down, but they don't want to go because it can't play at an Alabama or Georgia or, or LSU, Ohio state or whatever, they want to drop down, but they don't want to go, you know, they still want to go to somewhere that they like and they can possibly make an impact and not, you know, at group of five level or whatever. ASU makes a lot of sense. ASU has a lot of the, the NFL uh, connections and guys who are kind of maybe really serious and they know that they only have a short, you know, period of time, two years, maybe three years to kind of get things in gear for them and kind of really get going. So I feel like, um, you know, it makes sense what, what they're thinking about. So remember I said earlier, they have 20 calendar scholarships. That's guys they can sign to national letters of intent, including transfers. They are going to end up with probably 13 of those from, um, kind of the early signing period they have the additional uh you know three guys two three guys three guys i guess uh johnson beecham and world who are committed that would be 
February takes for them if, if they if they feel good about that where they're at with those guys. So now you get to 16, and then the way you get to 20 is uh, another several uh, 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 transfers, uh, whether that be grad transfers or just guys who uh, want to take advantage of this rule where they don't have to sit out and, and they can play immediately somewhere. And uh, there always could be additional uh, you know, guys that come on the scene. You had, remember, Rashad White was a late addition um, last year. And sometimes there's high school kids, sometimes there's junior college kids that kind of come out of nowhere and they end up, you know, making an impact. So I think that they, this staff, they, they've done a good job on backgrounding kids. You know, it's not like it's been perfect. You know, Brandon Pierce probably didn't work out. Uh, but, you know, you understand why they take the kids that they do. Like Brandon Pierce has elite speed. He just, you know, just didn't really have uh, enough uh, focus and, and determination to probably push through some of the challenges, especially during a COVID year. But, you know, overall, I think that they've done a pretty good job on the, the, the uh, identification of which guys make sense to try to bring into their program. And I, I better than bringing in sort of marginal roster lint type guys that you're going to end up wishing weren't, weren't a part of your program in a year or two because of the talent of where you're at. Uh, I think it makes a lot more sense probably to take some guys who are only going to be around for you know half as much time and they may be able to impact your roster when you're trying to maximize what you're doing in 2021 into 2022 when you're going to have a lot more veteran presence uh, on both sides of the football. Right. And you make some great points, especially just because ASU is handicapped with just 20 initial counters to use this year because of all the, the blue shirts they took, the five uh, last class that, that carried forward into this one. But before we transition here a little bit, I want you guys to uh, to call your shot on the Corey Foreman situation as, as best of your ability. Reminder, top five of USC, ASU, LSU, Clemson, and Georgia. But Chris, you've kind of mentioned that it's it more so narrowed to a Clemson, ASU, USC race. Kevin, where do you feel like he's leaning right now? Kevin and I have been doing this too long, Mason, to get caught up in what you just what you just saying there. Neither one of us is going to pick ASU for Corey Foreman. <laughs> yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably say USC if I had to pick right now, but um, you know, it's we'll see. I mean, if he's he's obviously t- taking a little more time here, so um, you know, things can change. You know, but. I would, if I had to go right now, I'd probably say USC. You're, you're, you're trying to catch us, Mason, but no, I mean, catch you slipping. Yeah, we're not gonna, we're, we're, nobody's gonna do that here. I mean, nobody, and ASU, it's the number one recruit in the country. Number we're 12 not, all time, like in 24 seven history, all time. Okay. Like we're, we're not predicting that guy to go to ASU until we actually get to inspect the national letter of intent under a microscope that he really did sign it. Okay. Like I think you're not, too giddy about bad news, Chris. <laughs> well, that's what people say. So it's, it goes with the theme. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, we'll definitely keep this one uh, top of mind and and follow it. And Chris will provide as many updates as he possibly can on the board. So make sure you maybe outdated by the time people listen to it. Who yeah, knows? I know. We'll try and get this one up uh, as fast as possible. So we're we're not behind the eight ball. But before we we wrap this thing up, I, I want to talk about the the blowout and the Arizona game. ASU beating U of A seventy to seven pretty remarkable territorial cup from the Sun Devils perspective. And they played a lot of players in that game. 61 
some walk-ons getting in on the action. Obviously, most notably, I guess, Jackson, he getting all the publicity, but plenty of other walk-ons getting some playing time as well. 18 players from Arizona, as Chris mentioned on Twitter as well. Overall, just how important was it, Chris, for, for all these young guys to, to get on the field? Well, I think it's very important because, you know, I think ASU was smart, right? Because you, you have Daniel Nagata and Jordan Banks. They're highly recruited, you know, guys, and they came to ASU wanting to play right away. What, 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 by playing those guys a lot and, you know, you had interceptions out there by freshman linebackers and, and Nagata gets to score a touchdown and you get Ricky Pearsall a touchdown. You, you're, you're giving guys motivation. Right. What you're doing is those guys are like they get, they're getting a taste and because they get a taste, then they go, oh, you know, that happened in December. And so that then is the juice that carries you forward through this whole next offseason of training. So, yeah, OK, blowing out Arizona. I mean, they're a terrible team and they're falling apart and, you know, Kevin Sumlin gets fired. And, you know, that was like the dirt that was on his grave site or whatever. I mean, it, it, the game just kind of got really rolling the wrong way and then got out of hand. It was stupid, kind of weird. I mean, seven, seven turnovers. ASU could have had nine or ten turnovers collected in that game. And the, you know, you see, you know, uh, a 100-yard touchdown return. And then, you know, it's 14 nothing before you can even get, uh, get a drink. And, um, you know, it, it's crazy. But I, I just think getting those guys feeling good about themselves who are younger – invested in what you're doing in the program and the athleticism to me really popped from some of the younger guys, Kayla McCullough, man, he looks really good. Uh, I think Edward Woods is got a chance to be pretty special. The Markham twins, that was the best that they've looked uh, on the field playing a lot of reps, especially Keon Markham who really hadn't done much uh, previously. You had uh, Jordan Banks, Kayla McCullough, I think, um, you know, just kind of overall, it's a very good sort of sign about their trajectory and where they're going. And we, we knew coming into the season, they were going to have to play a lot of young guys on offense. And so we saw Johnny Wilson really take a step. There was a clear progression from USC to Arizona. And, uh, you know, we saw that LB Bunkley Shelton continues to be, you know, getting immersed into what they're doing. You know, it, there's, case to be made that Elijah Badger might end up being as good as any of these freshmen that they have. He can't even play and was a practice player only. So I feel like, you know, when you get all of those receivers, we didn't see Andre Johnson do much against Arizona, but the week earlier against UCLA, he made two really nice routes and catch had a big play. I think he's coming into his own. You, you, you add junior Alexander into the mix. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're freshman running backs are really good. So this, I guess the, what I would say, and then Ben Scott and Ladarius Henderson, and uh, you know, they got young offensive linemen that um, look like they're going to be able to play for the next few years as starters. Um, Donovan West is so good that he he might even be gone after three years, uh, no more than four. But just kind of what they did from a talent acquisition standpoint in the first couple years under Herm Edwards, I think has very clearly made an, an impact and they're now in a much better place overall. And Donovan West won Pac-12 offensive lineman of the week for his efforts in that game. Basically, he might, he might be the best offensive guard in the Pac-12 this season from what I've watched as a true sophomore. 
as a true sophomore. Yeah, he's he is phenomenal. He is the best interior offensive lineman that I think that I have seen in in doing this job covering ASU. Wow, that's a big statement. Yeah, Kevin, do you concur? About West, uh, yeah, pro- I, it's hard to come up with anybody better than him. Um, you know, I got to go back to like the Snyder or Cutter type exactly. kind of years. Well, yeah. The, yeah, the Snyder year is a little different, but even that was more often. Snyder had the offensive tackles, right? You know, Arvell Smith, uh, Juan Roque. I guess Gray Rugemer might be kind of like Donovan Westish. Yeah, Gray Grayling Love was a was kind of a guy who could play different spots. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, he's, you know, I, I'd be surprised if he's here beyond next year. You know, he seems like he's going to be a first, second round draft pick potentially if, you know, he doesn't stays healthy, keeps progressing this way. Yeah, I mean, he's a guard. So, you know, you just kind of always, you know, right, the, right. Yeah. There might be only one or two of them that go kind of in the first round. I mean, I could see him being a, a day two guy, but there's not, I don't think like the limitations for him are going to be like, okay, like his size is not elite. Uh, projecting to the next level and, and, you know, stuff that he's not really going to change that much with another year. He's such a, he's such a technical player, but listen, Ben Scott, he's look he's going to be a dude. I mean, he, for playing his first year, very underappreciated how actually functionally good that he has looked. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and really I think that they just, you know, overall, you know, Ben Bray and Jacob Nunez, that's kind of a question mark about their about just kind of their last class that was like the lowest sort of position uh and so that's why they needed to that's why they felt like they needed to hit on a bunch of guys in this class with um you know just glass and i think armand bethea you know if they sign him he's not going to announce till january 2nd austin barry is a big frame dude and uh sione vicoso which i mentioned i think at the outset is an older, you know, kid from Hawaii who went on a, a LDS mission, who's, you know, just more physically mature. They just need a few of those guys to kind of work out. If they can get a couple of these other dudes uh, who are seniors to come back next year, I think their offensive line is going to be in the best probably overall situation that they've been in for probably the last three coaching staffs. Like it's that, that, that type of level. And the I, game- think that, I think that would, if uh, Deesh comes back, I think they are, definitely are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I think that because, you know, having him solidify left tackle for the first time and, you know, seems like a while, I guess, right. uh, that position for ASU. And then, if, if I mean, if he's only got three, maybe, I guess, four games after this weekend of film, I don't know if that's enough to really get him into, you know, improve his draft stock or get draft stock, quite frankly, from where he came from. So, yeah, I agree. Something like him coming back is a, is a big uh, thing for ASU. Yeah, it's definitely uh, the game plan has been evident in terms of how ASU has been recruiting the position. But guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast for site publisher Chris Cartman and analyst Kevin Stewart. I'm Mason Kern saying so long. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.